Well, this is an important day for New Song. Uh, many of you, you've not been a pastor and understand that you don't, maybe don't fully understand the significance of this, but um, one of our, our parent churches, Bella Vista Assembly of God, has worked a decade to get to where they're supporting every Arkansas Assembly of God missionary. It's something uh, pastors who are missions-minded want to see their churches do. And I've been praying uh, because... We're supporting some missionaries, uh, a few Arkansas and a few that are uh, otherwise and other organizations, but monthly. But and then some of you support yourselves, uh, missionaries on your own. But I believe that if we don't take the leap to to try to support every missionary by even five dollars a month, that it'll be years down the road. We'll be doing the same thing others, hoping one day we'll be supporting them all. And I believe God will take that five dollars and he'll increase it year by year. Uh, so that we can see the gospel go around the world. So be praying about that by December 25th, uh, 2016, the 555 initiative. Um, I really don't want to see a few people, I know that sounds odd, that if you were financially able, I don't want to see us have two or three people supporting all those missionaries. The reason is because if you're supporting them, even by $5 a month, you'll remember to pray for them because you're investing in them. And that means we'll have more people praying for those missionaries, more partners for those missionaries, and the whole church will go together on this journey. So be praying about that. I really, I really like to see us have 55 different individuals or couples support them. Well, I want to move on. We have a special treat um, this morning because with our focus on heritage uh, being Father's Day, um, we had started out with the idea of several of our kids, uh, different families uh, being involved, uh, kids, uh, uh, girls being involved uh, in worship today, and I truly enjoyed that and blessed me. Um, you know, my boys will be joining me here in a minute, but we start out with an idea of them preaching with me. Their first sermon, they turned 16, uh, turned 16, they turned, <laughs> and mentally they turned 16, uh, they turned 10 this week, and so uh, as we were preparing over the last month, uh, you know, I was getting ready for this, they started getting cold feet, so dad, can we just share a verse? I was like, yeah, you can, but I really wanted to see you do, do uh, something more than, than just read a verse. And so what we settled on is that we'd do a panel interview where you get a little glimpse of what it might be uh, to be children uh, in a heritage of, of ministry. And so here in a minute, I'll have them come up. And before I do that, I just want to share something that the Lord placed on my heart in the first service. In our, in our ministry here, from time to time, we meet uh, children and adults who didn't have a great home life. Or maybe they're not uh, with their parents, their parents not living or maybe they've been adopted. And I want to let you know that, that in, in God's kingdom, that you are finally in a family where it's an equal playing field. We all have the same bloodline now as children of the one true king. And I am proud to know many of, many of the kids in this church who, who um, have had a different past than others, but yet they are part of my family. And I love them as my children. I love them as my family. And I truly mean that. And it's not just a matter of me accepting them. I feel honored and humbled and blessed that they would accept me into their family. So um, this is an awesome day uh, to spend talking about heritage. So boys, if you want to come up here, I'm going to get you a chair. Um, if it's all right, folks, we'll just have them probably here a little closer to you. I hopefully you can see rather than have them on the platform. All right, have a seat. All right. So 
what we did is I, I understood they may be nervous. So we went ahead and I asked them the questions and they gave me answers in my office and we had them write them down. We wrote them down, typed them out so that if they get nervous, they can read. So they may read some of them, but it's their answer. Trust me, I didn't feed them these. Um, especially if I had, some of them would be different. Um, <laughs> but, but we're going to go with what they, they said. So um, I'm going to get started. Um, first of all, Colton, why don't you explain to us what heritage is? It's the traditions of my parents, grandparents, and the generations of the past. Okay. Caleb, what, what else, uh, how else could you describe uh, heritage? It's the special things our parents, grandparents, and generations before did that made them who they are and have helped make us who we are. Okay, good, good. So, Colton, what, what is part of your heritage? Ministers of the gospel. All right. Caleb, what about you? What's another part of y'all's heritage? A lot of my uncles and aunts and cousins have sung in Christian singing groups or led worship in churches. We get together and sing worship songs at family times. Okay. So, Caleb, um, how has your heritage uh, with ministers of the gospel and uh, worship leaders affected you? All I want to do is go out and preach to the whole world until I die. Okay. Colton, how has it impacted you? I want. I always want to read the Bible, and I want to go out, and God is calling me to go out and preach the good news. Okay. And I'll tell you, uh, while they're reading uh, their answers, um, both these boys have proven that out, uh, even when they were younger. I, we've had to slow them down a little bit. They've chased kids down, ready to hold them down to get them to hear the gospel. Um, so they're pretty zealous about it. All right, Caleb, so what do you think is different about your life since your dad has become a pastor? I'm very thankful to have a heritage of mis missionaries and pastors in my life, and I'm also very happy to carry on that heritage. All right, Colton, how about you? I always want, I like to talk to people about Jesus, and I want to know if they know J him. Okay. All right. Well, Caleb, what is the hardest thing about being a pastor's kid? Well, sometimes people expect me to be better than other kids at church because I'm the pastor's kid. All right. Colton, what's, what's the hardest thing about being a pastor's kid? When we are there all day and night, when because mom and dad have a busy schedule because they're um, ministering to people. All right. Well, Colton, what's the best thing then about being a pastor's kid? Playing the Xbox while we are at the church all day and night when mom and dad are ministering to people. <laughs> Just so you didn't feel sorry for them. They, they <laughs> all right. Caleb, what's the, what's the best thing about being a pastor's kid? That I get to see my dad more than just at night when he worked at Walmart. Sometimes he is still gone a long time, but other times we come to the church and see him during the day. All right. So, Caleb and Colton, how long have you both been reading your Bible on your own? Three, Three years. Three years. All right. And so, <laughs> that happens pretty often in unison. Um, all right, so Caleb, why do you think you started wanting to read the Bible on your own? What, what caused that? I wanted to understand more of the Bible to help on my journey through Christ. And Colton, why did you want to start reading? It's interesting. Okay. Okay, okay so Col Caleb and Colton, if you could be a missionary anywhere, where would it be? 
Anywhere. 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 All right. And then, Colton, what is the funniest story in the Bible to you? When King David went out in the streets dancing in his underwear. <laughs> Where Turn to Second Samuel 6. <laughs> All right. Caleb, what is your favorite story in the Bible? The woman caught in adultery, and when the people wanted to stone her for it, Jesus said, those of you without sin cast the first stone. Okay. All right. So, Caleb, um, what if you could ask God for anything, what would it be? To have wisdom and to always know what is right and wrong. All right. And Colton? Wisdom. Wisdom. All right. So... Caleb, if you could wish a heritage for in every family, what would it be? That they would all come to know Jesus. All right. And what about you, Colton? A heritage of ministers of the gospel. Okay. Well, Colton, what do you what do you do that's just like me? That's just like your dad. Kicking the devil's ear in. All right. That's my boy. <laughs> Caleb, what do you do that's just like your dad? I like to eat. <laughs> All right. One of those I would have changed if it was my Mom. choice. Mom, by the way, can I help? When I, when I grow older, can I help All right. So, Colton, what do you do that's just like your papa and which one of your papas? I chew my food the same way as Papa Strom. And that is true. They sit, when they sit together, him and Jen's dad, and they're both looking off. They chew their food the exact same way. It's pretty funny. Um, Caleb, what about you? What? What do you do like your papa? I like to make desserts that I get to eat just like Papa Strom. All right. Colton, uh, what do you do that's like Papa Brummett? I like to dig in the dirt. All right. Caleb, what do you do like to do that's like Papa Brummett? I like to get on Papa Brummett's tractor and so does he. All right. Well, Colton... When you have kids of your own, what's the most important thing you want to teach them? To love God. And Caleb, what about you? To love and follow Jesus. All right. Just a couple more questions, boys. Um, Caleb, if you get in trouble, uh, who would yeah. you rather be in trouble with, me or mom? Neither. <laughs> All right. That's Col pretty easy. Colton, who would you rather be in trouble with, me or mom? Mom, because dad gets loud. <laughs> mom. All right, last one. Colton, how much of what you learn do you think comes only from your dad and mom? Most of what I learn. All right. And Caleb, what about you? Do you agree? Yes. All right. Thank you, boys. Appreciate you all. All right. I wanted to do that to demonstrate that, uh, I want to do that to demonstrate that what we do uh, as parents, especially fathers, uh, truly is key in a heritage that we set before them. The problem in our world now is a lot of fathers think that heritage is going to come just because they had a heritage, but they don't have to play an active role in it. And that's not how it works. We play a very key role in the heritage for our children. In fact, there's statistics that will say uh, that, are, that have been proven out that if a father comes to know Christ first in a family, that the percentage of likelihood that the rest of the family, the mother and children will become Christians, is much higher than if the mother became a Christian first. Fathers, you have a significant impact 
on the lives of your children. Some of you may be in a situation where uh, there's a custody situation and you, you, the mother and uh, your children, maybe it's not on good terms. Dads, take heart that those statistics are accurate. You have more of an opportunity than that mother to impact the spiritual life of your child. This morning I want to, to title today's message um, Heritage of a Good, Good Father. We're going to focus on one scripture and one scripture only, Psalms 127. You know, sometimes dads are honored as if uh, they can do no wrong, but on Father's Day especially. But in reality, dads can do some dumb things. I was really fortunate because my, my boys, just like I did with my parents, they start storing up stories to tell on their dads. And if they had been with me yesterday at lunch, they would have had another one to chalk up uh, to personal experience. I went to lunch with Ken and Mickey after as uh, we were, uh, Ken, Mickey uh, is starting to do the concrete stainings for New Beginnings, taking that over for me. And so he was doing one on his own, and I was there to kind of uh, help him as he needed it. So we went to lunch, and, you know, I like to think of myself, especially with my long history with the Hispanic churches and, and actually at one time being a little better at the Spanish language, that I would know most terms in Spanish. So I always go over there at Estrada's, and I order the gorditas. They're awesome. And they're just like three twenty-five a piece. You get two of them, you're full. It's just one of my favorite things. But they take a while to make. And I usually order one kind, certain kind of meat in it, and they were out of that. So what else do you have? So they named off things. Well, I heard a term that I thought was another name for a type of fish. And I thought, well, I like different fish, so I'll try fish. And then the other one, I'll get uh, a type of pork. And so I ate the pork one first, and I start eating the other one, those fish. And Mickey and Ken were all talking, and I'm not telling them, but man, I'm thinking, this thing's horrible. This is like what I'd imagine eating the raw squid. It's just, oh, it's horrible. And I, just kind of getting it down because I've been raised to finish what's on your plate. And so, you know, common sense would tell you if it doesn't taste good, it doesn't feel good in your mouth, put it down. It might be dangerous or something. I just keep eating. I finally finish it, and my stomach's rumbling. And I look at these guys and said, man, they are, Mickey, I think, asked me how mine was. I said, well, that one was good. The other one was horrible. And, and uh, he said, well, I wondered why you ordered that. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I wonder why you ordered the tripe. I was like, yeah, but I like fish. He goes, that's not fish. That's intestines. <laughs> I turned white. I could feel it. I didn't have to see in a mirror. I turned white. And then my good buddy Ken, who I've known since 16, with all his infinite wisdom, decides to pull up a picture on Google of what tripe looks like before it's cooked, and he shows it to me. And although I have a strong stomach, I've been a firefighter, not much bothers me, something clicked, and I ended up running to the restroom. And I'm just glad they only had one other patron in there because everybody knew uh, how I dealt with my lunch. I mean, it was terrible. Um... So I come home and I tell, my, I, I tell my boys and they just can't hardly contain themselves. They, they, they love anything to do with stuff that's, that's yucky. So, um, but I learned my lesson. But, you know, I've had times too where I've been getting on to them, driving, and then I'm not paying attention and I end up speeding and I get pulled over. And you, you get from getting on to your boys and, and being their authority and telling them not to do something and then you're sitting there like a little boy in front of the cops saying, you know, I'm sorry, I was speeding. I was, I was hollering at my boys. So... Dads sometimes do dumb things, and sometimes they look bad, and sometimes even embarrass their kids. And often dads can just embarrass their kids with what they say. All kinds of dadisms, things that they say that, you know, kids just roll their eyes. And of course, not in the Brummett home. You're never allowed to roll your eyes. At least I wasn't. Um, but there's a top 20 list, and um, uh, you know what? If I could get one of you, uh, one of you guys, uh, Danny or whoever's in the back, grab those sheets right there. I meant to get those... Uh, handed out being, uh, the big sheets back there. And uh, if you give them at least to all the dads, if we got enough, give them to, to the uh, 
or maybe you should give them to the moms, spell this out, but top twi- 20 phrases that dads say. I looked this up, and they've done a survey over 2,000 people, top 20 phrases, and I've mixed them up on that sheet. So for fun, after the service, if you want to try to put them in order um, of a, uh, first to last, you can check your answers. Just Google top 20 dad sayings, and uh, it'll pull, it'll pull up several sites with it. But as top 20 phrases. So I'm going to start with the last one and work up. Some of these I've never heard before. Some of them I've heard in my whole life. Number 20, don't let the bed bugs bite. Number 19, you don't know when you're born. Number 18, you'll understand when you're older. Number 17, a little hard work never hurt anybody. Number 16, now don't go spending a lot on me. Number 15, we, are, we were grateful to have an orange for Christmas. Number 14, you're not going out in that. I'm preparing for that one with a daughter. You're not going out in that. Number 13, waste not, want not. Number 12, don't tell your mother. (laughs) That usually has to do with food that uh, mom would not approve of in our house. Don't tell your mom we're eating this. Um, Number 11, stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. Number 10, they don't make them like they used to. Number nine, if you were told to jump off a cliff, would you? Number eight, don't talk back to your mother. Number seven, were you raised in a barn? Number six, I'm not going to tell you again, although we do, don't we, dads? Again and again and again. Number five, I'm not sleeping, I'm just resting my eyes because we never want to be tagged as, you know, not aware of what's going on. Um, Number four, when I was your age. Number three, he's thick as two short planks. That one's number three, and I've never heard that one before. Um, Number two, money doesn't grow on trees, which leads you to number one answer, do not think I, do you think I'm made of money? So there you go. You can take and try to put those in order. They've been scrambled on your own. Um, But if we were to look at Psalms 127, these are God's words for the good, good father. We sang two of my all-time favorite songs this morning that are the recent ones, uh, good, good father, and uh, I'm no longer a slave to fear. The English Standard Version of Psalms 127 reads, Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build and labor build it, it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children, are a heritage from the Lord the fruit of the womb, a reward. Verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with him. He shall not put to shame, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. What is this saying to us? God is saying the most powerful tool we have, the, the, most, the most powerful blessing-making tool we have is the children that we, we raise. He's saying that, that you may work, and I worked at Walmart long hours, as the boys uh, alluded. They think that they, they, uh, they see me less now, but when I worked at Walmart corporate office on salary, I was gone a lot. And, you know, we work trying to pay the bills, and we think that we can just take those responsibilities, and we're, that's what we're doing for our children. But what God is saying here is that there's nothing more valuable than investing into the children that you're raising. That even among your enemies, that, you'll be, that, you will, um, uh, that you will not be put to shame when you speak with your enemies in the gate. 
There's four dynamic principles from Psalms 127 for the home that I want us to get today. And I want us to consider the, these four truths from God's word, especially pertaining to you dads today. Now, every home has a builder. In other words, like when we built our home, I chose not to hire a contractor, and uh, we probably should have saved up and hired one because it was, it was back-breaking work. But normally someone would hire a contractor, and that person would make sure that home is built right from top to bottom. So you look for a builder who's going to know what they're doing, who's going to take all things into consideration. In a spiritual sense, God must be the builder of our homes. He's not working with a hammer and nails, but with intangible materials like love and faithfulness and character and leadership. God desires to lay a foundation to put up the framing and do the finished work. Do you understand that the family unit is God's most powerful evangelism tool in this world? Missionaries are an extension of the church, but God's most powerful tool is a family. You know, I don't get into a lot about the difference in, in, you know, from Muslims and Christians and that battle going on. We had Brother Terry Hodom that came that's a minister to the Muslims. But, do, but as I mentioned before, you know that it was an obvious and stated tactic of the Muslim faith of Islam to outpopulate Christianity on this planet. Decades ago, they're saying, if we would just have more children than they do, eventually this will be a Muslim world. You see, we're not just dealing with some kind of big spiritual mystery in the sky. God's a very practical God, too, and he's just saying, your children are the most powerful tool you and I have. The first truth we see from the scripture is God needs to be the stated leader. And understand that's an important part of that. The stated leader and in the position of headship in each household. Psalms 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor in vain. If you, Dad, want your home to stand firm, you need far more than what you can do alone and what you can bring to the situation. You need the help of God. Chuck Swindoll says this, Work, strive, fret, worry, plan, strain all you wish. But if the Lord is not the very center of your home, all your additional efforts to make it strong is futile and worthless. Mom and Dad, he says, at the foundation level of instruction on hap a happy home, Christ must be first. I hope when we sing that song too, that, uh, on other Sundays, um, Jesus be the center, or on Christ alone, or the cornerstone, that you truly understand that he has to be the foundation of your home. Now you can say that in your head all you want, but what we're saying here is that he needs to be proclaimed over your children, over guests in your home, even to your enemies, that God is your foundation, that he is the builder of your home. I heard the verse many, many times in my home, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Son, you may think you know, but I'm even paying your insurance. You can leave your car keys on the table, you can go, but as long as you're here, this house, we will serve the Lord. When a person employs a contractor to build a house, they inspect the qualifications of the contractor, and then they sign an agreement with the builder. In fact, in Benton County, when we built our house with the county, they still, if you had someone perform any labor over that house over a certain dollar amount, they had to have their qualifications. They had to be certified in their field. You had to provide something that says they are licensed, they, are, they, are, they know what they're doing. You and I need to see that God and God alone is qualified to be our master builder. The divorce rates and families breaking apart, that should be your evidence enough, 
proved positive that without God, that you can't do this on your own. We need to sign on with God as our builder. And dad, that especially begins with you. You've got to set the tone by agreeing that the Lord himself should be the overseer and center of that, of that home and that, Dad, you should lead as the spiritual leader, be the priest of the home. Pastor Roger, when he was here, one of the favorite things that he gave a challenge that I remember every day now from, from now on. It's amazing how powerful it was. He said to some of us men at a men's uh, gathering, he said, guys, and he said it to his advisory team, guys, you set the temperature of your home when you come home. You set the tempo of the home. If you come home from a busy day at work and you're agitated and you don't stop and pray and, and give it to God and ask him to walk in as a priest at home, you're going to carry all that junk in your home. And if they were having a good day, if your wife has prayed with your kids, if they've done Bible study, and you come in with an attitude built on what you experience at work and not on Christ alone, you're going to wreck what God was trying to do in your home that day. If a dad wants to lead his family properly, he first of all must himself be a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus. So we begin with this basic statement. We must seek God as the one who can build our homes. And I'm going to reiterate that it must be on your lips. I had a conversation with some of the guys in the motorcycle ministry yesterday. And I said, you know, I've learned my lesson over the past. I don't try to judge this person is a believer or not. If they're saying they are, I don't try to judge whether they are or not. However, they shall be known by their fruits. And I said, you have to take heed when you run into someone who says I'm a believer, yet you can have a long conversation with them and they never talk about the Lord. His truths, his, his glory, his riches, his blessings, even the struggles and the strife are not on their lips constantly. You have to take heed that that person may be playing as a believer, but yet they have not turned over their life to Christ. The second truth in this passage is we must see God as the one who provides what every home needs. Even one of the names for Jehovah uh, is, is Jehovah the provider, that God is a provider. When we went to build our home, we had to borrow money. We didn't have it all. But we didn't look at it as we're going to the bank to ask. We asked God, help us as we commit to another man, to an institution, that we're going to borrow money for this. But the commitment is to you because we're, making, we're putting our word out there and you are the center of our home. So we're putting you in this precarious situation that we have to depend on you to provide. And this is really just an outgrowth of the first conclusion we made about seeking God as a builder, that he is the one that pays for it. We said before, God pays for what he orders. God will not send you out to do any task unless he's equipped you, that he's made the way. Many of you heard the story over and over from me that I, I took 20 years uh, waiting to go into full-time ministry, and at least half of that was because I was stubborn saying, as soon as I pay off my school loans and my debt, then I'll, then I'll start ministry. But I don't want to do it with all this debt. It's always me doing it. And it was at the moment Jen and I prayed and said, no longer are we going to limit you, God. We know you will take care of it. We know you could send someone to write one check for our 70-some thousand dollars of school loans, and we could be in ministry like that. And once we actually released that, just by our prayer, our word, in fast succession, next thing you know, I'm standing here before you as your shepherd, as your pastor. When Jesus is our builder, then Jesus, and he's the nucleus of the home, then what will that home have? Everything it needs. Needs, not wants, but needs. Psalms 127, 2 states, In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep. Some of you are tired, and it gets a little warm in here. But he grants sleep to those he loves. Sometimes we're reminded heavily in the service about how much sleep we need. We're not getting a work, right? Through the week. 
And so this should really drive this point home with you. When you're tired and weary, you think that you just need to figure out how to work better at your job or you need to just figure out how to make that work better. And what God's saying is, is when he is at the center, he is at first, you depend on him to provide for anything. He's the one that will grant you the sleep you need. I've had better sleep in three hours a night sometimes when God has full control than when I get eight and I'm trying to do it on my own. God gives the home what the home really needs. The greatest need in America's homes today is not the 60-inch projection TV or the large family room or a swimming pool. The greatest need of our homes are the things that money can't buy. God's word says he gives sleep and many other necessities in life that, can be, that can't be purchased uh, that can be purchased monetarily, but he'll provide it even sometimes when you don't have the money. But money can't buy love, joy, or peace. But the Lord can place things in the hearts of everyone who lives in your house. There's a man by the name of J. Paul Getty. Um, decades ago, he was one of the richest men on the earth, billionaire, um, provided uh, billions for his family, and yet by his own admission, he was a failure in his family with what the things that really mattered. He said he envied those who could make a marriage work. He was married five times with five failures. He said his memories of his relationships with his five sons were painful. And part of the problem was he was forever away on business. Listen, Dad, your kids don't need a billion dollars. They need a dad worth a billion. A dad who shows his own life and teaches his kids that Jesus meets their every need. One of the mistakes dads make, especially in northwest Arkansas and this hub of Walmart with Tyson's and all these and the fast pace, is that we think, okay, well, as long as I've spent five minutes in a devotion or I've told my kids that they should read God's word or I've told them they should pray and I'm telling them, and, and just because I have to get up before they're up and I get home after they're in bed or about to be, and, and oh, well, I'll do this tomorrow with them or all next week. And pretty soon what we don't realize is we turn around and they've grown. We start thinking, where did time go? And then we start seeing things. We're like, wait a minute. I didn't do that when I was a kid. Wait a minute. Where'd they get that? Wait a minute. Now, I would have gotten big trouble with my dad. Now, how did they get that? They don't have my genes. Something happened. Switched at birth, I guess. And we shift the blame. But the blame is us. Who made the dollar? Who made the home? Who made the car? Who made all this stuff as if it had equal value to that child that God has given us? When a dad falls in love with the Lord, he walks with Jesus, and that gives a man the liberty uh, to, uh, that he needs. He, it sets a man free. And sir, if you're not in bondage, your family is much less likely to be. It's proven fact also that men who have addictions are in bondage. Many times it's passed on to their children as well. God's designed that you pass on things of God to your children that will bless generations of your family and, your, and the heritage of your family. But if you don't turn your life to God and you try to do it on your own, you'll pass things on that will be destructive to generations to come. God should lead the dad and the dad should lead the home. In Matthew 12, 29, Jesus said, How can any, anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob the house. This is Jesus using robbery as a good example. <laughs> if you want to rob a strong man, you got to tie him up first. That's just common sense, right? But yet we somehow think that the devil will just stay out of our home, but we're not on our knees and we're not going into spiritual warfare for our children. My parents, many times at night, I could hear my mom or hear my dad calling out uh, the kid, our kids, my name and my, my siblings' names as they prayed for us at night. 
they were doing battle for their children. Not just in the times that there's something wrong, which is what we always do. Oh God, I think my kid is going to hell in a handbasket. Now I'm going to pray for him. No, they did it consistently. Dad, how is Satan going to destroy your home if you're standing strong with the Lord guarding that home? He can't. You'll have the potential to be the father and husband you need to be if Jesus is first in your life. So we've drawn those first two conclusions, that first, we must seek God as the one who can build our homes, as a builder, and second, as a provider. And the third truth is we must sense that children are God's blessing to our home. They're never an accident, and I, we shouldn't even joke about them being ex- unexpected because here's the thing, as a believer, you have to know that no matter how they got here, if God's put them in your care, then there is a, a purpose for them, God has a plan for them, and he's going to bring blessings to your home because of them. Psalms 127.3 reads, Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a reward from him. So children are a gift from God. The original Hebrew terminology used there in that scripture is children were what God shared with earthly parents. It means just like your money, God owns them all. And you're a steward of them. Oh, Pastor CJ, I remember paying the hospital bill. They're definitely mine. I know one that said his son still owes him a truck because he had to sell a truck uh, to pay the hospital bill. But that's not the truth. The truth is they're God's. As a believer, you have to have turned them over to God. Remember Abraham and Isaac, what happened there? God didn't want Abraham to kill Isaac. He wanted Abraham to put his heart back in the place where Isaac was truly God's and Abraham was truly God's. Please don't ever refer to your child as an accident. Let, let's remember they are a priceless gift from our father. So we've considered... Again, that him as a builder. Secondly, that we must see God as the one who provides. Thirdly, we must sense that children are God's blessings at home. And fourth and finally, as we close, we must send our children out as arrows aimed as a target. When, when we get to verse 4, it says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. I love that. I, I don't know, my boys don't have their wallets on today, but we all carry a challenge coin, and it's a Christian coin. When I was in the military, you had a challenge coin for whatever unit you're in. But I gave that to him as a special moment years ago. I said, you need to keep this with you. Sometime dad's going to plop his out, and you better have yours. And the reason I want to teach him that is that we are being raised as warriors, not to fight a physical war, but a spiritual one, and that they are with me in that same army as fellow soldiers. I'm their dad. I may be their leader in a sense, but I count on them as equal warriors for Christ with me. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. By this analogy, dads are warriors, children the arrows, and when dads shoot correctly, kids hit the mark. But the arrows are no more effective than the archer. So in this last point here, sending our children out as arrows, first of all, the archer must be strong. Dads, you have to be strong. I'm not talking about physical strength, but spiritual strength. And you only get that from time with the Lord and letting his spirit continually fill you. Have something new. Sharing the gospel because that will renew you and fill you. God will fill you through that opportunity to bring a new life to Christ. But you've got to be intentional about this and be strong. Um, It's not easy to be a good father or a husband or a dad. Um, A dad must be strong. So Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Be encouraged, dads, today, Father's Day 2016, no matter what's happened before today, by this scripture, by God's promise, you have the ability and he will equip you to, and give you strength to be that father. 
You know, I hold very dearly my uh, position as, as pastor, not for the position, but because of the blessing of that responsibility that God has entrusted me with. But even greater than that is that of a dad. And I never let the ministry, I never want to let the ministry get in between me and being a good father to my kids. I've had times people get upset with me and say, you know, you've dropped the ball or I can't seem to get time with you or I can't seem to, you know, you don't seem to be doing what I think you should be doing as a pastor. And you know what? Uh, If I need to own it, I own it. But if it was because that week I got maybe 15 minutes so far out of three days of the week with my kids and I spent that time with them over someone in the church, I don't even feel like I owe an explanation because my first responsibility is those children. But let me bounce off this a little bit because I hear this statement, my kids are my world. You want to know one of the number one mistakes parents can make with their children and they'll reap horrible, bene- horrible things from it later is their kids be in their world over their spouse because it's not the way God created it. You made a commitment to that spouse before God and I'll tell my kids, this is my girlfriend, my wife and you don't disrespect her. We challenge each other all the time. I don't disagree with my wife in front of my kids. I don't tell her you're wrong in what you told them. All I'm doing is undermining the only authority that God has placed in front of them to teach them and to raise them correctly. You are tearing your home apart if you do that. You're damaging your kids, and it will be years to uh, try to reverse that by the time you get it, if you don't get it now. You should never disagree in front of your children. You should never fight in front of your children. You should support each other. If you disagree, you do it in private. I was blessed. I, don't, I can't remember. I can never, in all my recollection, I can't remember my parents fighting in front of me or the other kids. I can't remember them. I can remember where I could obviously tell that mom was winning, but the way it was done, <laughs> but the way it was done is your dad has a final word. And I kind of know what dad wants to do. And all of a sudden, dad does what mom would want to do. I'm like, well, I see how this works. You know, but, but that was a good example. There's a strength there. There's a strength that I, I lean on now as a heritage with my wife. When I get off kilter, I get off key, I think about my parents and I think, you know what? My wife, I want to honor her. I want to love her. I want her to, I want to see her receive from God everything that God wants for her. He, she is his. And he's entrusted with being with her. And she is as precious to me, as more precious to me than anything else in the world. And these kids come second, but they are precious to me. I will fight to the death for my kids. I'll give my life for them, but I will not put them before my wife. God will take care of them. He loves the children, but I will not let them stand between me and the commitment I made to my wife. You can get another pastor, but my wife only has one husband and my kids only have one dad. I need his Holy Spirit to indwell in me and energize me for that big job. And sir, father, you do today as well. So thinking about being a dad who shoots straight, we see the archer must be strong, then the arrows must be straight, and dads and moms are given the awesome responsibility from God to shape and straighten these young arrows. Just like a baby sapling tree, you try to go out to that big oak that's 40 years old and decide you're going to move the branches and bend them a different way, good luck with that. But when that sapling is new and they're tender and they are just sprouting up, that's the time you can mold and move those branches and splint them and say, you know what, I know you're trying to go this way, but I'm going to make a way where you go this way because I'm your dad. I love you. I'm going to make sure you go the right direction. Proverbs 12, 20, or 22, 6 demands that we train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Some of you have given up on that promise because your kids are straying. 
And you say, well, I lived a long life not for God and I came to God late in life after my kids were grown and now I'm paying for that. Quit letting the enemy lie to you that God's truths are not his truths and his promises are not his promises. You are serving the Lord now. They're still your child and there's still hope. You keep praying. You keep towing the line. You be strong. You shoot that arrow. It'll hit the target. Don't give up. We know that the culture in Hollywood won't ingrain our values in our kids the way it should. And God tells us that, our, that that responsibility is up to us. We can pass it off. Really quickly, just a couple minutes. I know we've gone over, but, but I want to give you eight things that this is how you shape and sharpen them. And I won't have time to give you the explanation, the full one, but here you go. Eight ways to shape and sharpen them. Begin early and teach them what they need to know about God and life and how to live. Have long conversations with them about the Lord. Even when their attention span is short, be patient and still have the conversation. Our kids are in moments sometimes where they do something. I'm like, that is exactly emulating Christ, and we're going to talk about it. And you seize the moment. Get them over to the side. They pick up a penny and give it, to, give it to the cashier because they could have stuck it in their pocket, and they say, you know, this belongs to somebody. Build them up and teach them. That is like Christ would do because he's your provider. You don't have to go scrounge for your money. He's not going to have you scraping and scrounging for it if you live that way. Number two, be creative in the way you teach them. Um, what this means is always be looking for ways you can teach values to your children and then creatively reinforce those. You know, if my kids see someone on the playground that is missing a limb and it scares them and they want to run away, then we go home and we watch a video on the warriors who have given limbs for their country and their freedom and understand that someone who has gone through that has something that they only wish they could have, the strength that you learn from that kind of disability. And they need to take heed of that as a lesson, not as a fear. Number three, work to build character. I won't spend a lot of time on that. We'll have time in other lessons. Number four, learn to set home lim some limits on your child. The worst thing you can also do, second to arguing and fighting in front of them or putting them before your spouse, is to not set limits on your child. Children want discipline. If I had time, I'd tell you a story. When I got out of the Navy, I came home completely overzealous because I'd failed at what I wanted to do. And we had a program that was like Boy Scouts for Christians called Royal Rangers. And they made me a Royal Ranger commander. Should not have done that. My dad was still the pastor. I took those boys out swimming across Highway 12, you know, to, from the bridge to the island at night in full gear. Um, 10, 11, 12 years old, a lot of liability issues with everything I did. But, but I had some boys who, who, I actually had two boys that were taken from their parents because the 11-year-old tried to stab the 10-year-old with a butcher knife. Things were so bad in their home, they are taken from their parents, put with grandparents. I was hard on those boys. I loved them, but I was hard on them. They wanted to fight with me, and I had to bring it on. We're 11 miles from home. We're out in the woods. You have no skills to get you home, so good luck with that. But you're not, you're not going to have any luck with me, buddy, so you better get some respect. And yes, you're going to clean up after you put up your tent, and since you complained, you get to cook again for the rest of them. And so I was hard on them. And when I finally had to give up that responsibility for college, go back to Bible college, those boys came with tears and grabbed to hold me tightly. They had hardly any discipline at home, but what they wanted is someone to love them enough to say, no, it's not okay to be that way, and I'm going to be hard with you because that's how I love you. We're trying to be our kids' best friend and give them what they want, and, and just we don't want them to experience anything negative, but we're running them. Look at their attitudes. Watch their attitudes. Watch how they respond to you. Watch how they talk back to you, and then begin to look. They didn't get that on their own. You're allowing them to, and God wants you to love them enough to discipline you because he loves you enough he disciplines you. 
Set limits on your children. Number five, assign responsibilities to your kids. Give them some work, some assignments to do. Let them teach them. What are you going to just throw them out when it comes time after college? You figure out how the world works. Teach them to work. It's God's way. Number six, let your home be filled with, your, with laughter. If your home does not have laughter, your home is in heart failure and it needs revived. Um, a merry heart doth good like medicine. Number seven, let your kids see God at work in your home and family. Again, he should be on your lips and on your conversations around the dinner table and at night and in the morning. Number eight, in shaping and sharpening these arrows, uh, cover them in constant prayer. Where you feel weak and you don't know what to do, pray. Pray. The Heavenly Father will hear your prayers. He will answer. Pray. When one of our boys got filled with the Holy Spirit, with evidence of speaking tongues, I thought, okay, in the natural, is that a a minister's convention? I thought, okay, well, I wasn't there. Maybe he got overexcited. You know, I don't know why I even doubted that. Until they had a problem in the van one day, and they're driving home, and Jen calls me, says, we're about to be stuck on the road with no shoulder. And I said, well, I'll try to get there. And Colton began to pray, and the Holy Spirit came in and began to pray in tongues, and the van got all the way to our road <laughs> it started picking up and it did it did great god will prove to your kids when you prove them that prayer works god will prove it to your kids personally they won't have to live off of mom and dad's faith god will increase their faith father's day what an awesome day that we still have in this nation to focus on what god created as a foundation for the family and he calls himself the good good father what an example of all. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Jesus, friend that sticks closer than brother. Holy Spirit, the comforter that comes in in trying times and difficult times in a fallen world that is a struggle for a family. If there's brokenness in homes today, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll bring the conviction that brings brokenness, that spills out, empties us out so that you can fill them once again. If there's someone here today, God, that does not have a relationship with you, or maybe they've played like they have, but you're not on their lips because the love isn't there. And they desperately need the love of a good, good father. Whether they had an earthly one or not, good or bad, or otherwise. What an opportunity to be adopted into the family of Christ, the family of God, children of God, and have the same royal bloodline, the same heritage as everyone else who believes. With, with everyone taking a moment to pray with your heads bowed and just a moment of silence, if you're here this morning and you want to accept Jesus Christ in your heart as your Lord and Savior, that you may be adopted into the kingdom of God, that you can have that good, good Father. I want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. Oh, man, I pray that we all have already made that decision. And believer, I want you to just today, as you're celebrating Father's Day, whether your father's still living, whatever heritage you had before, today is a new day, and you can create the heritage that God, with God's help, that he's wanted for your family bloodline all along. Amen. You can look up here. Love y'all. Man, um, I know that the Baptists probably always beat us to the restaurants today, and I probably wrecked some Father's Day plans. It's going to be a little bit over. It's 1230, but... I love y'all. Thank you for being patient and letting the Holy Spirit move in the service today. And I pray that he'll continue to change your heart as you allow him. Amen. Have a happy Father's Day.